0: Welcome to the Gloria Purvis Podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me. And I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Kristen Day. She is the executive director of Democrats for Life of America. She's the author of Democrats for Life, Pro Life Politics, and the Silenced Majority. She recently co authored a paper entitled Make Birth Free with Catherine Glenn Foster, CEO and President of Americans United for Life. The first time I encountered anyone publicly discussing the idea of making birth free was an article in The Atlantic written by Elizabeth Brunig back in July of 2022, roughly a month after the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. So I wanted to have this conversation with Kristen, to really get into the details of what it would look like to make birth free. What's the average cost of a pregnancy in the United States? What's the cost of aid that we've given to Ukraine? What's the cost in relation to our overall federal budget? Because I am sure that a lot of people are going to object to making birth free because they'll talk about the cost of it. And the bottom line is, well, what do we want to invest in? This is a values-based policy. If we care about the American family, if we care about not having a negative birth rate, if we care about really strengthening and growing our country, I don't know what better investment we could make in the cost of pregnancy, childbirth, and rearing children. Seems like to me that the dividends we reap are much richer dividends in terms of what it means for the health and future of our country. So Kristen and I go through making birth free, and also some of the challenges that people have with accepting the idea of making birth free. Some people will argue that, you know, instead of making birth free, we need to make sure people actually do get the entitlements that they are entitled to, that people also then have a better idea up front of how much birth is going to cost by having transparency around billing, around pregnancy and delivery. Chris and I discuss all those things, and we also discuss who the target of making birth free is. Who do they want to buy into this? How do we do this? Is this realistic? And what does this mean for the future of America? The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media, where real, honest conversations are happening on the most important issues at the intersection of the church and the world. And that's unique. You may not agree with everything we publish or even everything we talk about on this podcast, and that's okay, that's healthy. We need to listen to each other and be open to different ideas and perspectives. So if this podcast is meaningful to you, please support it by following on your favorite podcast app and by getting a digital subscription to America. Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe and sign up today. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Kristen Day is up next. Kristen, welcome back to the Gloria Purvis podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Gloria. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. I'm super excited to talk with you about... Birth and the costs of birth, especially in our post-Dobbs society, it seems like since the Supreme Court ruled that abortion is not a constitutionally protected right, there have been so many discussions about what is going to happen to women, pregnant women, mothering women, all of these kinds of things. And I think these are correct conversations, and I was intrigued um, by the articles I had been reading about making birth free, and you authored such a document, making birth free. But I think before we dive directly into all of that, maybe we can talk about if we're going to make birth free, maybe people need to understand what the costs of birth are in the United States. So what does it cost the average woman to give birth in the United States? So the average
1: privately insurance person pays about $2,800 to give birth. Out of pocket? If you have insurance, and one in six new parents pay over 5,000, but those women without insurance pay thousands more up to 20,000. It can be very expensive for women depending on what type of insurance you have or if you have if you don't have it. And so these these out-of-pocket expenses come as a surprise to a lot of women and families who are worried about their newborn and feeding their newborn and taking care of their new baby and then they get these huge hospital bills on top of it.
0: Look, I have some friends, their daughter's now about to go off to Harvard, but when they were in labor, they had some difficulties and and whatnot. They were in Texas. They were young at the time, very well-to-do. And they were told, hey, you owe us 30 grand. They had the means to just write a check that same day before they left the hospital. But I don't think the average American couple or even single woman would be able to just write a check for $30,000. And I'd been reading that the average cost of childbirth in the United States is about $19,000. And I'm assuming that's if you don't factor in the insurance, but I'm like, gosh, this is just so, so expensive. And I imagine with all that, the expense of it has got to be a stressor for families.
1: Oh, sure, because it's stressful enough when you're bringing home a new baby. I remember when I first became pregnant with my son, I was so nervous about, you know, being able to take care of him. And on top of that, you know, you come home and you start getting these bills. Yeah. It's just a very scary time because you have this new life you're trying to protect and, you know, feed and clothe (laughs) and and lack of sleep and all the, the joys that come along with parenthood. Right so, yeah, it's just something that we talked about and in the post-Dobbs world. How can we better support women and families in bringing this new life into the world? And this is one of the things that we came up with of where we could alleviate some of the costs of childbirth Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. help families really support their, their
0: children. And now, regarding the cost of childbirth and families to help support their children, one of the things that I was looking at is like, who's impacted by um, like Medicaid, things like that. And I was reading that all states are required to provide Medicaid coverage to pregnant mothers and households earning 138% of the federal poverty level, which is about, and I was shocked, $20,000 for a family of one and $25,000 for a family of two. So then I said, well, what does a full-time worker earning the federal minimum wage make? And surprisingly, they make roughly fifteen thousand dollars a year. So if you had like a mother and a father, husband and wife, both working full time at a federal minimum wage, that's thirty grand per year, which puts them outside of getting their pregnancy covered by Medicaid because they'd be a family of two and they'd make over twenty five thousand dollars. Right. And I was I was stunned, and I was like, "Well, how, that seems to disincentivize." Being married and pregnant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um And I thought, gosh, if we made birth free and didn't make it just tied to income, it doesn't disincentivize being married and, you know, rearing children. Uh, that was one of the
1: discussions that we were talking about. and, you know, Senator Vance showed some interest in this proposal. And one of the things, the direction he was going is more Medicaid expansion versus, and we were thinking also the other option would be through Medicare. So it's this, how do you cover the most women without having these limits that will exclude people? And we think the Medicare program would be better, Medicare pregnancy program that would cover everybody rather than Medicaid.
0: So again, I was going to say, explain the difference.
1: Yeah. So Medicaid, if we expanded it through Medicaid and tried to make birth free through Medicaid, not all states would participate or be forced to participate. It would be a Medicaid expansion type thing where some states would and some states wouldn't. Mm. If we did a Medicare pregnancy program, the federal government would provide 100% reimbursement and cover everybody and not just state by state. So we think it would be a better type of program to cover birth for all women and not just some.
0: So is the Medicare program, regardless of your income? Yes. So it would be a special program
1: similar to one that was done for end-stage renal disease, where it's covered for everyone under that program, under the Medicare program. So it'd be based on a program like that. So all women would receive free birth under that versus Medicaid, which would be up to the state's if we went that direction. So it's a discussion we're having on the best possible way to make sure that all women benefit and not just some.
0: So the the other thing that I was thinking about with your mentioning that, okay, we already have done something like this. So we already have the administrative capacity and the experience, if you will, in the federal government being able to roll out a program for all people that fit in a particular category, right? As with this end stage, renal disease, as you've mentioned. Some of the, I guess, critiques of the making birth free that I've read, some people, particularly Leah Labresco and Patrick Brown, they think you should make it easier to have a child but not require making birth free. They said that the Affordable Care Act already ensured that for most moms on private insurance, Breastfeeding support, prenatal supplements, health screening, and other preventative services are available without co-pays or co-insurance. But I was thinking, yeah, but that doesn't cover the cost of giving birth, which is what we were talking about. Because they're saying much of the same goal can be accomplished by helping low-income and working-class families get the aid they're already promised on paper. Then of what they listed, though, I was like, but that doesn't cover the cost of vaginal delivery and C-sections.
1: Right. And also keep in mind that there are still a lot of women who are uninsured and would not be covered under that programs um, that they mention. in addition Mm -hmm. to having to pay for the birth. I know when I left my job on Capitol Hill, I was scared about getting pregnant because I didn't think my pregnancy would be covered Mm -hmm. because I didn't have a new job yet. And they require you to wait a year before you become pregnant. And there's all these stipulations. So there's a lot of different administrative things that you have to get around too.
0: Well, that was one of the things that they argue that maybe they needed to concentrate our efforts on making the cost of births transparent and predictable. Like people to know how much it's gonna cost ahead of time. That would be maybe a better alternative.
1: Well that would be better probably in all cases related to healthcare. Right. I know there's always my son just had surgery and you know it's amazing how many surprise bills you get after the surgery. So it's not just uh, birth that's a problem, it's overall medical. So I don't think that's just something to address with this. We're trying to address a single issue here when we want to give parents every opportunity to make an informed choice to not feel like they have to have an abortion. And these costs associated with birth are part of the things that we can take away and allow these families to have their children instead of abortion.
0: Well, one of the things that as I was thinking about the we can make birth more affordable and not necessarily free sort of argument is when I was looking at, you know, we need to make sure people get the entitlements they're supposed to have and also maybe clearer idea of what a bill is supposed to be ahead of time, that that is better than making birth free. And I had to say no. I didn't agree with that because I thought, so what if I have a clear picture of a huge bill or even a clearer picture of my entitlements when the out-of-pocket cost is still high to me? That doesn't help me. <laughs> you know, it does not help as much as saying to me, you know what? All your costs with giving birth, we're going to cover it. You won't be paying any of that out-of-pocket. And to make that available to all women instead of just poor women, I think also, at least in my mind, teaches the culture something
1: hmm
0: Well, let me back up and say this. I do think there's one carve-out I would want in terms of women who wouldn't be covered by this. I think anyone who is in a surrogate relationship, because those are already so expensive. But also, I do find that surrogacy has been very exploitive of women and children, sort of that rent-a-womb model. I wouldn't want to do anything that encourages that. But otherwise, I think every woman who is pregnant their birth should be paid for. If we can make it free, let's do that.
1: No, I agree with you on the surrogacy thing. I do have some issues with that about the expectation of the mothers who are carrying the babies. And I think I mentioned earlier there was a case where a woman didn't want to abort the baby. The parents found out that the child had was less than perfect. Yeah. And so the people who are paying for the womb wanted her to abort and she didn't want to.
0: Well, and it's so much is in the contracts that, and it's highly unregulated and it's exploitive of women. Oh gosh, so much I could go into there about why I'm not for what I call the rent-a-womb industry. I think it's just terrible for women and children. And I, I don't think it teaches society the right things about pregnancy and motherhood and child rearing and the dignity of the child. So that's just one thing that I, because I was thinking about this, like, would this really be for everybody? Would there ever be a circumstance? I'd say, oh, let them pay for it themselves. Those would be the kinds of circumstances. Now, I guess some people are saying, but why weren't we doing this ahead of time, before Dobbs? Why weren't we pushing for these things before Dobbs? I mean, we were <laughs> Democrats <laughs> for life. We always were saying that, we you know, we need to prepare for a post
1: row world and we need to have all these things in place so women will have the support to carry their pregnancies to term, And I'm pretty pleased with what states around the country are doing right now with increasing funding for pregnancy. Some states are increasing funding for pregnancy support. You know, there's a good report out of Texas and increasing their funds and the number of women that they were able to support. But then again, we have other states now pulling pregnancy support funding, which is disappointing. But I think this proposal is very much, it should be mainstream and we should be able to get bipartisan support and really providing what women want and need to be able to have families.
0: Well, I was speaking with a girlfriend of mine about the cost of when, you know, she gave birth. And she said, you know, she was blessed that her husband's company covered the cost of birth on par with how they pay for abortion and contraceptives. Because she said at her previous jobs, what was covered was contraception and abortion. And... Very little of the costs that you undertake with pregnancy and delivery were covered. So I had forgotten that there could be a lopsidedness even in private insurance. So it's the
1: companies for sure prefer abortion over supporting a woman having a child because it's better for the bottom line. Mm. So this is a battle that we do face. And I think this would also alleviate the companies, take something away from what the companies are required to support or what we want them to support because it wouldn't be an issue because a birth would be covered for all women. So they wouldn't be able to pressure women into choosing this cheaper alternative. They'll pay for the abortion, but not the birth.
0: So what do you say? I guess some people are like, well, wait, we, can we afford this? Can we afford this new government program?
1: You know, that is always the question, but I think there are many different ways we could fund it. And we need to prioritize human life and human protection and supporting women in the workforce. I think from the pro-life side, if you're serious about ending abortion, this is one way that we need to do it. And from the pro-choice side, you know, if you are really are pro-choice, then we need to support choice. Mm. And alleviating the cost of childbirth instead of funding abortion should be a priority for both sides.
0: I was just reading an article that talked about that most women said they had abortions because they felt they had no choice. And when other researchers looked more deeply into it, they said it was often financial issues and or issues with their partner. So imagine if we were able to alleviate the financial issue by saying, you know what, the cost of the baby, having the baby, giving birth, we're going to make that zero. And then, though, I I imagine some people say, okay, okay, so you've made the cost of having the baby zero, but what about all the costs that first year, you know, the diapers, the doctor visits, the postnatal care for mom? What about that? Yeah, I mean, that's the
1: next step. One of the bills that we supported, uh, we do support, is the Emma bill, Every Mother Matters Act. Mm. And Arkansas, the state of Arkansas passed it. And it puts every pregnant woman in touch with, they call and they talk to a nurse. And they learn about every state, federal, local program that's available to support them Mm. as a new mother. And they're put in touch with a pregnancy support center. And that follows them for two years to make sure that they have the resources that they need. So there's incredible pregnancy centers all around this country, and the numbers are growing that can walk with these women.
0: So, you know, we talked about the average cost of childbirth in the United States, and I know that your proposal on making birth-free throws out some numbers. First of all, this says a basic program to make birth-free would cost about $68 billion. And some people's heads would just, their eyes glaze over when you talk about such big numbers. But you also say, well, you know what, 42% of U.S. births are already financed through Medicaid. So that means that only $39.5 billion of that amount would be new spending. Of course, some people are still like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of money. But one of the things that you and Catherine Glenn Foster say, and Catherine Glenn Foster um, heads up Americans United for Life, is that, believe it or not, I mean, that's approximately equal to the amount spent in 2022 to modernize transit, so it's not like we're not already spending the money. And then you all say, if we add an additional $60 billion to assist with perinatal care, baby supplies, and expanded paid leave under the Federal Family Medical Leave Act, the total additional cost to make birth free in America would still be less than $100 billion per year. And I, I found it... Amazing that you all then point out, hey, that was the amount that we paid to support Ukraine in 2022. So it's like we have money when we want to have it. <laughs> it seems like, you know.
1: Yeah. I think this is a, a first step in readjusting priorities mm. and putting mothers and families in uh, prioritizing as much as we do other things right. that maybe are politically popular or, you know, have stronger lobbyists to. You know we need a stronger mom lobby to get out there and and demand that this is what we need
0: hey i'm with you on that one and i'm just trying to think how could in terms of being a pro family policy i can't think of anything Any better than this, to get at the very nature of nation building and saying, you know what, this is something we as the United States value, and therefore we want to really invest in it as much as we would invest in our military or our transit or any other infrastructure. We really want to invest in the health and well being of families, and making birth free to me makes a lot of sense. But, you know, maybe I'm missing something. I'm sure you think it makes a lot of sense too. What am I missing? Some of the
1: feedback that we have against it is, yes, the cost. But again, it's about priorities. And especially from coming from the pro-life side, every pro-lifer should support this because we want to bring this new life into the world. And this is one of the barriers. We have to remove the barriers to allow women to have their babies. And we have to look at who is having abortions. And it's financially insecure women And how do we bring equity into that situation where financially insecure women have the same opportunities as those with resources? And this is, again, a step in that direction where we can provide financially insecure women with the same opportunities to parent instead of saying abortion is their only choice. When the companies pay for abortion, the federal government pays for abortion, the state government pays for abortion, and they prioritize it as a solution for a
0: poor woman. Well, and also I was thinking about we don't realize it, but a lot of college-age women are financially insecure, and you better believe they get a lot of support for artificial contraception and abortion. Imagine what would happen if these college-age women would have the support for giving birth, for for mothering, and maintaining their education at the same time. I really think it would be that cultural change, that mindset shift that we need, because we've already had several decades of legalized abortion in America. And it has become equated with, like, if you want to be a free, empowered woman, you definitely don't want to give birth or get pregnant before the right time. And I'm like, when is it ever the right time? We'll be back in a minute. Well, one other thing let me ask you about that I've seen some people complain about is the administrative aspects of giving birth and maybe even an administrative aspect of the making birth free proposal that it's administratively. Well, what do you think? Because I'm sure you know people have had questions about, you know, well, how are we going to do this administratively? What does that look like? Yes, it will, it's
1: not going to be easy to administer. No, but we can do it. We have the ability. We did it with a, another program through the Medicare program we can come up with a solution. We can we can get this done. And we're in the process of meeting with different people right now, um, meeting with a couple senators this week to talk about this and trying to put this in legislative language and we'll, we'll figure it all out and we'll get it done.
0: Well, one of the things that I was thinking about, at least administratively, is some of the hassle with like these federal income-based programs is going through the income eligibility checks and having someone have to do all the administrative work around checking this and checking that. But this seems to remove that Yes, that on that part, it will
1: make it easier, for sure, because it will just cover everyone.
0: I would imagine Democrats would be okay with it, except unless they're totally blinded by the whole abortion, you know, we must do everything with abortion, and we can't do both and or something. But I also think Republicans might not be in favor of making birth free because they think of the price tag. Although I would think if you have these family values, I don't understand it, but I'm sure there has to be some Republicans that won't agree with it just like there'd be some Democrats that don't agree with it. What are your points that you make to them? Well, I think we're looking toward the middle.
1: You know, Mm -hmm. I think if we get enough in the middle, we need 60 senators in the middle to get it through the Senate. So if we lose the far right and the far left, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. And that's where most of America is on the issue of abortion. And in a post-war world, we have to look what we can do to move forward and really provide opportunities for women and their families. And the strategy of going extreme one way or the other is not working real well. Mm. There was a bill in Louisiana that wanted to criminalize abortion. So, I mean, that's not the direction that we want to go. And then also, you know, legalizing abortion up till birth. No. And even beyond, like California was trying to do.
0: Yeah.
1: uh, You know, that's not the answer either. A majority of Americans want reasonable regulation. They want reasonable limitations. And they want women to have the opportunity to have their babies regardless of income.
0: So, you know, Kristen, I guess... As I'm thinking about this, I'm hoping we actually have a a cultural revolution where how we eat, play, the kind of entertainment we have, work, rest, all of that is with the mind of women and children, pregnancy and mothering. And those things aren't aberrations, but are central to how we order our world. Because right now, I think we can't even imagine it. I don't think we even necessarily, well, what does that look like? What does going to church look like when you have all those pregnant women and those babies and children and teenagers, when you actually have booming families? My goodness. I mean, I get overjoyed thinking about it, but I'm like, I think it's so far removed from the average American mind because we don't typically see it on television or in real life or when we do is treated as an aberration, as an anomaly, or even as humor. Like, oh, my gosh, I got all those kids, ha, 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 you know? So what are your hopes for this? You know you make me think of the movie 9 to 5 with Dolly oh, Parton. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to have a remake of something like that because it was a, ahead of their time as far as changing the workforce for women. I mean, they got rid of the man and uh-huh. hit him in a corner. <laughs> yeah, they got him in there yeah. But they started job sharing and had a child care and, like, they— changed the workforce for the better. And it was more productive and women were happier and it was just a better place. But I think the other thing though, is we do need to appreciate stay-at-home moms. When my kids were young, I worked part-time. So I had one foot in the at-home, being an at-home mother and one foot in the workforce. And so I was kind of conflicted. I could see where both both have their own struggles. yeah, And so I think we need to do a better job of, you know, supporting women in the workforce and women at home and those who have the hybrid and really appreciate all of us because, you know, there's challenges everywhere and we just need to do a better job of supporting it.
0: I'm a co-worker for Life with the Sisters of Life based in New York. And I was stunned of these welfare to work policies that these women who had just given birth that their children were shuttled off to childcare as infants really early in their lives. And the mothers had to go out and pound the pavement and you had to show that you were working to get a job. And I just thought, how is that pro-family? And if we were to have a completely different model on that, that your pregnancy is paid for, that you would have time post-delivery for your body to heal and to do the bonding with the child and there's no demand that you, you know, separate from your child, it you know, because I guess there was a big scare that these women were abusing the system, you know, by Mm -hmm. being poor and having children. I mean, and also I would hope it would make us not have this animosity toward people who aren't middle class and up having children. That's the other thing too. We have sort of this animus toward poverty and child rearing, as if somehow you're irresponsible that you got pregnant and don't make, you know, a lot of money, you know, and, and, and in these days, even when you look at what they have is the um the thresholds for Medicaid or whatever we were talking earlier, like $20,000 for a single person, twenty five dollars for a family of two, I thought making $27,000, you know, puts you outside the threshold, but that's not that much more, you know, when you consider the cost of housing, actually trying to get to work, trying to feed yourself, all of these things. I'm like, don't we have it within us to try to build up American families, especially those in the beginning stages when you're not quite stable in your career? I'm like, let's just help. Why not?
1: Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a, yeah, there's a lot we can do in that area. You know, when Josh Swaddy was the head of the Department of Agriculture in Kansas, he allowed mothers to bring their babies to work. Mm. When they came back after their leave, and he said, you know, they were very productive and people loved having the little babies around and like coworkers would hold the baby if the baby was crying. And it was just this environment where it was just a very caring, supportive environment. Mm. And I know not all employers can do that, but right. having childcare right in the facilities and So you can go nurse your child during your break. And I think there's a lot of creative, innovative things that we can come up with to support parents.
0: As I think about this, the, the argument that it costs too much, it costs too much, it costs too much. I'm like, well, then what do we invest in? What is the real fear here that people are actually going to have lots of children and turn around the march of the United States toward a negative birth rate? Is it that they think the wrong people are going to start having children? What is it? When they say the cost is too much, cost for who? And what kind of return on investment? You know what I mean? Yeah, we need these kids to pay for our retirement and
1: our Social Security and to keep it solvent. I think when people talk about the cost, we just need to realign priorities. I think that's what we go back with is, yeah, exactly what you said. So where do you want to spend the money? Do you want to give more money to Ukraine? Do you want to give more money to green energy companies so they can build Mm -hmm. more things? Tax breaks for wealthy people to buy cars that are electric cars. So let's take that tax credit away from the white male who's making $100,000 a year and give it to the low-income mom to have her baby.
0: Gosh, this is... I, well, what can we do to help sell this? What can we do to help promote making birth free? Well, I think you, we have two different
1: groups that we're trying to convince that this is a good idea. You know, we have the pro-life people and we have the pro-choice people. And I think the argument is very much the same. Do you want women to have an opportunity to have a baby? Do you want to, on this side, do you want to save that life? And on this side, do you want that woman to have a choice? Okay. And, you know, we have to sell it to these both sides and get these people in the middle, get America to join in and contacting their senators and contacting their congressmen and saying that we need to make birth free and make a priority of you know, providing financially insecure women with the same opportunities as those with resources.
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Kristen Day, for joining me on the Gloria Purvis podcast to explore making birth free.
1: Thank you so much, Gloria. It's a pleasure.
0: I'm so glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and, well, sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. Leave us a review if you can. I would love to hear from you. Oh, and by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Maggie Van Dorn and is engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.